The following podcast is sponsored by SuperheroStuff.com. Sci-Fi For Me Radio presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is H2O. Pox. A pox on all technology. That's my official stance on everything today. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. Welcome, everyone. This is our 122nd episode of H2O. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor at sci fi for mecom Sitting next to me, Timothy Harvey. Hello. The editor of HorrorForMe.com. And uh, this is our second attempt <laughs> to record this episode this week. I, last... We were walking. Look, what happened was is that we were walking down an alley. And the technology came up behind us, mm. and it mugged us. Yeah, it took our money, sucker punched, <clears throat> and our sound. Uh, it, the, the video video looks fine, and it was a great episode too. We, we, it was we, a great episode. We, we were, were halfway decent. Yeah, an hour an hour and fifteen minutes. It was one of the best episodes you're never going to hear. So, <laughs> but see now you can visualize it. You can you can you can the see picture, it. The picture was pretty. You can see it and but, hear it in your head. Yes, and imagine it to be this amazing episode. Uh, yeah, but we were here, and it was it was a <laughs> really good episode. And uh, all right, a, a little explanation. A little explanation, I guess, is in order. Uh, well, no, we don't have. No, to. we don't no, have to. We, no, yeah. Short version: there was a sound error. Picture in your mind and uh, a button. That's in the wrong position. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So sometimes it's the simplest thing. <sighs> yeah, I suppose. How's your week going? Um, well, we're actually recording this on Friday. Yes. Which is usually, usually we try and record it on Thursday. Yes, we're late. Um, but uh, uh, it's been a long week. It hasn't been a bad week, mm. but it's been a long week. And you've had a bunch, you've had a rougher week than I've had. I have, yes. Um, those <coughs> of you who have been uh, frequent listeners, you know that I've mentioned before that I'm, I'm working on a, a documentary series for uh, for a cable network. Mm-hmm. Uh, local the production people are in town here from LA and and um, they've hired some of us local and this week they're doing crime reenactments right I was like murder most foul and best kind don't murder I, most it's nice the best, it's the best kind <laughs> to put on camera um, but they've been they've been treating this particular because the documentary series basically has just been let's follow people around with cameras sure and, you know do the interviews and Shoot a bunch of insert shots and mm-hmm. you know pictures of pictures and right. whatever, right? Well, now we're actually getting into crime reenactments. So you've got actors and you've got effects with the blood and mm-hmm. the fire, sure, and right? The, you know, you've got the cool sets stuff. and the locations mm-hmm. and all that. So it's right. been a, it's been more of a Hollywood style, and it's much more involved, right? And they're overnights. Yeah, the night the night, means, the yeah, night shoots are the worst. Oh, the night shoots are terrible, especially <laughs> you get four four in a row. Right. I mean, we've done. We've done night shoots on on our shoots at various points. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Randolph Carter. Um, and and a, two nights in a row over a weekend. I mean, it's physically draining, but it's usually it's kind of like okay, you know, if yeah. it's it's like doing any other shoot. You're there for ten, twelve hours. You're tired anyway, and and that yeah. that first day is actually worse than the second day because you've 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 not you've not gotten enough sleep to make that first day. Yeah, actually, my 
Uh, the third day is where it hit me. I hit the wall. Oh, well, yeah, but you're, you day. did it four, four days. This I did week, it four right? days yeah. this week. And, and, you know, you've got a call time, which is show up at the, show up at the place at 9 PM mm-hmm. or 10 PM. Right. And you're going all the way through overnight into, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. And sometimes later today, today was our last, you know, well, Thursday night into Friday was our, our last day of shooting this week. And I didn't get done until 2 yeah. in the afternoon. It was a much longer than 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I think the longest yeah. shoot, the longest day I've actually had was on the music video, mm-hmm. on the Tempest yeah. music video, where we yeah. ran from, well, call time was 10, and I was there at 8.30, and then we ran till two in the morning on the shoot. Yeah. And then I didn't leave the hotel until three thirty. So, um, and that was just all straight through as the director. So yeah, which means you don't. There's no downtime no, for no, you. There You're, is not. <laughs> there's no moment well, you can sit there and go, "I'm going to sit here and have my coffee." Well, no. you know, the, the I think because. On the on this one, I'm just a production assistant. I just you know go fetch things, mm-hmm. right? Which is fine. And, and I would say I would venture to say that the sitting around doing nothing time is actually worse. Oh, ultimately, yeah, I think there's there's nothing to do. <clears throat> and anyone who's been on a film set knows. Go put gas in the car. That for now large for an hour. large chunks of a shoot, it's some people are working all the time yeah, but a good chunk wait. a good chunk of the the crew and certainly the cast is often just waiting on on a location mover or, or a light reset or or whatever it is it the yes. various technical aspects of it but if you're the director you're always in motion yes. you know there's always something you're planning for the next thing you're getting ready to move on to the next shot or whatever it is and i think that while you're doing it it keeps you from feeling the worst of the tired. Yeah. But it's that last hour when you know no, you've got like one shot left. Well, and yeah, and and, and <laughs> it's like, oh God. <laughs> there are those there are those moments and this is this has happened to me quite a bit where I know that I keep going in order to keep going. Right. Yep. Because if I sit down, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And my body will start to right. stiffen up. <clears throat> the minute you, just, you stop yeah, moving. You stop moving. Yeah. So all that to say that sleep deprivation means <laughs> we're recording this a second time this week. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's that's where we are. Uh, and a new thing for those of you who have just been listening to us in audio form over on podcast.com or iTunes, we have now started to do video. Sure. In addition to. In an, in, in an experiment, we're trying to see just uh, just how well this plays. Um, so over on Sci-Fi for Me TV, which is our YouTube video, uh, YouTube channel, we have the video. You can actually see us recording this mm-hmm. podcast with uh, with Ray's nice, very very cool, pretty metal sign behind yeah, us. The prettiest thing on we camera. Gotta, we got to have an opportunity. We got to show this off somehow. Um, and I was doing it for a while with Week in Review, mm-hmm. and then I stopped doing Week in Review because nobody was watching Week in Review. You guys should watch Week in Review. Uh, give me a reason to get up on Saturday morning. Wait. That would, say, that well, would what, mean what is, I'd have to up. get up Saturday shut morning. Up. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So the topic for the, for the episode, uh, which was a very good episode, 
and we're going to have to try to remember everything that we talked about because it was a really <laughs> nice. I mean, we got into a rhythm. We and did. It one was... thing led to another, and we, you know, there. So, um, <laughs> the question came up earlier this week about whether or not the the movie climate, the cinematic climate, is such that it's stifling the next potential George Lucas, James Cameron, uh, Guillermo del Toro, the, the next auteur, mm-hmm. storyteller, movie maker, uh, that, you know, the, the type of which came out of the 70s and, and early 80s. And you look at all of the sequels and the reboots and the remakes and the franchise stuff and you've got star wars and you got marvel and you got star trek and you got x-men and you've got uh, you've got all the dc stuff now you have um the the board game movies yes the, the video game movies the tetris trilogy oh. trilogy how do you, how do you do that how do you do that <laughs> How do you do Tetris? I have in a tur- no idea. Did 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 we learn nothing from Battleship? You know, you know what? You know how they do it. It's it's the idea of of building a wall. If it was mm-hmm. going to be me, yeah. if it was going to be me, um, okay. You have if since it's going to be a trilogy, then it's right. it's an escalation of things, right? Sure, sure, yeah. All right, so um, so the first one, you're going to be building a wall around a city, kind of okay. like colony, kind of like over sure, on, sure, on right. USA okay. Network. Um, did that get renewed, by the way? I believe so, yes. Okay, so you'll continue to yes, do Yes, oh, yes. Looking, okay. looking forward to that right. coming back. All right, so um, so you build a wall around the city because aliens are invading, because that's always the good excuse to Oh, sure, up, right. right? Yeah. Aliens. So it's a metaphor. All right, <laughs> so you build a wall around the city, but that's not enough. <laughs> right, of course. Because they get in, so you need a bigger wall. Right, in the, in the you, sequel. In the sequel, right. yes. So you build the bigger wall around... The nation state. Okay. Maybe. Or, or you know, even the planet. But that's still not big enough. Sure, right. Because, you know, the Death Star keeps getting bigger. Of course, right. right? Yeah. So you need a bigger wall. So the third one, the wall is actually a Dyson sphere. Sure, around the around entire system. the entire right. solar system. You just say, okay, we're just going to build a wall around all of it. Now, the other way you could do that, you could flip it. Mm-hmm. Where instead of us building the wall to keep aliens out, they build the wall to keep they're us building, in. Yeah, to yeah. keep us in. See, I, I had the idea that you would. And base... then you go, and then you go, you reverse. It's like, oh, these, these, you know, the, you know, the, they're building the wall right around the entire solar system. Uh huh. Well, okay, let's let's constrict it. Sure. See, in the second one, it gets smaller, and oh. That planet is where they're coming from. <laughs> Smaller. Well, you have to start there, there from like even bigger. I mean, you couldn't do system because I mean, system would solve the problem if they're if you've got the system sealed off. Doesn't matter what planet they're on. Well, we keep we keep punching holes through the system. Oh, okay. So it's a combination of Tetris and Pong. Oh no. <laughs> hey, uh, that pong, might work. Not pong. Um. Um. What was the other one that you you bounce the you. you Oh uh, no! Right through the wall. Oh, see now you. I I don't even remember. <laughs> You're asking me Wait. about a video game I played when I was back back yeah. when video games were new. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So um, my idea was is that it would be more like um, I have no mouth and I'm a scream. Mm, so mm-hmm. it would be it would be like very nightmarish. 
where the yeah. where the blocks, the Tetris blocks, would be like this constantly shifting wall that you couldn't really. I mean, you, it'd almost be like this this uh, constantly in motion and sliding into place environment. Kind of like Cube, where the maze keeps changing. Right, except right. On, on a larger scale. And right. so, I mean, it would be... Because I could, I could see... There's something about an environment and, and Cube, and now they're rebooting Cube. Yeah. Uh, which I actually don't think is a bit necessarily a bad idea. Because the first film was such an interesting idea, and the second film was such a disappointment. And the is third... that Lionsgate? Doing Cube? I think so, but I'm not sure. Did you see Lionsgate just put a, a street date on the next Saw movie? No. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, as as the horror guy, uh, there there are three good Saw movies. It's the first three, all right, because it tells a complete story. It's the saga of Jigsaw. It's 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 a morality play. Mm-hmm. It's it's the the price you pay for vengeance. There's a through line in the story. Sure. Right. Right. So at the end of the third film. The story is resolved. The characters have met their prescribed fates. It is about the cost of vengeance, right? Sure. That's right. The, that's okay. for all for all that it's the torture porn aspects. There's a plot and there's character arcs. There's an idea. There's an idea. Right. That's the first three films. Everything after that is a money grab, <clears throat> and you can tell just by the by the degree of. Of implaud, I mean the first the first three films you have to look at it and go, one man or even a, no, you would need a small army of people to build some of these things. Mm-hmm. In the first three, in the in the later ones, it's like, no 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 no, you need the Teamsters <laughs> Union to help you build this. Okay, you, yeah. you need the Carpenters Union. Um, you need the the steel death trap. Makers Union. I don't, they need to have one because clearly there's enough of them to be employed. Sure, they need to be, they need to be able to collect a bargain because there's because yeah. you have to have that kind of scale to build these. And I remember watching. I can't. I, I don't even remember which one it was anymore because the later ones blur. It's a death box in a public place. So like they pull off the thing and there's this and it's like that's impossible. Hmm. You couldn't do it. I mean, it, yeah. it, so anyway, um, so back yay. to Cube. Yeah, hooray for reboots. Cube is Cube at least is an interesting idea. Uh, if you haven't seen the original Canadian film, um, and Nicole, it's a, Nicole DeBoer was in that one, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, Esri Dax from Deep Space Nine. So you have the um, you have a science fiction setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have many many questions that are not answered, deliberately not answered. Right there's a and and it is a scary film. In that wonderful mixture that science fiction and horror can come together, but it was also an independent picture. And the third film in the series is the second film. The second film tried to get clever. And, oh, don't you hate that? And there's a difference between smart and clever. Yes. And clever is not necessarily a bad thing, but you can. But the, you can what, you can be too clever by half, and you sabotage yourself. Right. And in that particular case, they tried to go super high tech, so they went from something that was very low tech and mechanical. I mean it right. was all about the 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 it was the machinery of things. This was more the physics of things. So they had tesseracts and oh. and and time folding in and stuff. It was and he built a crooked house. It was it was like overlaying Heinlein on top of the oh, cube okay. concept. Right. Um and it didn't work as well. The third film went back to basics, went back to the and it's actually a prequel to the first film. 
Um, but it's a, it's a film that series that that never quite met the potential of the first film. So I don't really have a problem with them going back into that. First of all, it's a property that a lot not a lot of people scale wise, not a lot of people have seen. Sure. And the answer to your original question is: Has the, is the current film climate stifling to those creators? Yes. The answer is yes. Because, yeah, because you wouldn't get somebody making a cube now. Right. You wouldn't get someone making a Jaws or American Graffiti or Star Wars, little picture, little sci-fi picture that nobody ever heard of, mm. um, that didn't have that big of a budget. Which got promoted at Worldcon in 1976. Hey, where, where did that happen? It happened in Kansas City. Hey, where's the next Worldcon? Uh, in Kansas City. Oh, my goodness. Worldcon 74. Going to be here in, uh, in August. In a month. Yes, we're not ready. Um, <laughs> we're never ready. I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there. We, yeah, we're never ready about it. We're never ready for anything. We're going to have a great um, time with this, though. This yeah, is gonna be we very are. Cool. But we, uh, and, and we have to have some more meetings about oh, yeah, our, uh, our plan there. But um, uh, Charlie Lippincott, mm -hmm. who was part of the Lucasfilm Promotions group, back in the day, mm -hmm. he put together a big presentation thing about Star Wars mm -hmm. that showed right. up at Mid-American 1 mm -hmm. in 1976. In 2016, Charlie Lippincott has put together that same presentation. It's going to be so cool to see. That same presentation. <laughs> so I don't cool. know if it's going to be a recreation, a reproduction, or if it's the actual materials he's bringing, but it may be a mix. Probably. But, but he's going to bring what he brought then. That's very This cool. is how we promoted Star Wars yeah. in 1976. I am so looking forward to that. That's going to be so fun. Well, and I think that's what's interesting is I, that... I'm hoping he brings Mark Hamill with him. That would be very Mark cool. Mark Hamill was here for that. See, that too. would be all right. So Mark Hamill was here and George, George Lucas that was here. That would be okay. That would be awesome. <laughs> See, well, it's... Okay, you you and I, we, we talk about... we you, Many, many episodes we have talked about we're getting old. But the reality is, is that we were we were children in the seventies, and teenagers mm -hmm. in the eighties, yeah. and we lived through this period of creativity in filmmaking that was this explosion. So your Brian De Palma's, your Lucas's, your your Spielberg's, um, Scorsese, Scorsese's, your uh, Oliver Stone's, uh, uh, Coppola. These guys were doing things that nobody had been doing. Um, and they were doing it on tiny budgets, relatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Now, you, because everything, and, and you know, okay, the reality is, is that Hollywood is a is a business, and it always has been. There's what? I know, I know, I know. It's a shock. I know we all want to believe that Hollywood is where ideas go to to bear fruit, <coughs> but the reality is, is that it has always been a business. It's always been about making money. <coughs> it's true, <coughs> and even, I mean. For and for anyone who wants to sit there and say it didn't used to be that way, it always was. Always. Um, well, the, that's one of the reasons why the film industry started out in California, anyways, because it was perpetual sunlight. Yeah. You know, the weather was was good all the time. They could build all these little studios out there with uh, out in the middle of nowhere with no roofs on them, <laughs> and stick a camera. It was basically, uh, you know, a camera in front of a stage mm -hmm. at that point. And as long as you had daylight, you could take pictures. Right. And so. Nothing. The different. What has changed is the studio heads no longer have the power they used to have. Because in back in the day, the studio head was God. Yeah. Uh, Jack Warner could destroy you, mm -hmm. uh, and Jack Warner might just sometimes. Um, yep. But now, you know, it, it's 
we know we, we we see it in a different way because there's always that lens of nostalgia, right? We look back at a Bogart movie, or you know, Reagan in uh, um, bringing up was it bringing up baby? Was that was that? No, Reagan wasn't in that what one. Was, that was that was Cary Grant. That was Cary Grant. Thank you. Um, so, but you look how, at these guys. How, wait, how could you mix up Cary Grant and Ronald Reagan? I'm old and tired. <laughs> I know. Um, Catherine Hepburn was in that one too. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you look at you look at those kind of films, and you look at what now. The difference is that we're talking. It's the scale of money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so well back in the day, in those days too, your actors were contracted to the studio. Oh I, yeah, I've got Humphrey Bogart for seven pictures. And right, which Humphrey is why there's Bogart actually a Humphrey Bogart, Bogart horror film. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and he did it because he had to. Mm. And he didn't want to. He was very public about it. He did not want to make this movie. And it's a terrible film. Um, but the, the difference is, yeah, they, oh, they, controlled, they controlled those actors. Like, I mean, those, they owned those actors. Right. Um, yep. those, those contracts were, and they would trade them. They would make deals with their studios. Whether the actor had any of a, you know, they would, they would trade an actor to another studio whether the actor wanted to go or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, but let me let me borrow this this right, person for exactly. A so and oh, it's just. But now we're looking at billions of dollars for a successful picture, mm. and so the scale is so obvious. So when we're looking at, even though the money has always been a core portion of the program, now we're looking at such large sums of money that you can't. It's so hard to look at that and go, "This is not a commercial thing." And right. what happens when it becomes this scale is that. It almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you can't, if you make an Avengers movie or an Iron Man movie or a Captain America movie and it's a success, then you have to give that audience, you've got a built-in audience for the next one. Right. Which means you have to basically replicate it. Mm -hmm. And then you got to make a third one. And because the first one had, you know, alien invasion... And the second one had the machine invasion, you know, the machines taking over the world. The third one will have Tetris. The third We'll build them all around the Oh my god, why? Uh, um so but you're you're got this escalating scale of event movie. Right. And those require more and more money. Well, and and you see this uh with the fan films. Um oh, sure. you know we, and we've talked about this uh most recently over on on Echo Chamber mm-hmm. talking about the new Star Trek fan film guidelines. John uh John Van Sitters mm-hmm. from CBS licensing was a guest on Star Trek's new official podcast called Engage. Right. And it's okay. Uh, but he was explaining, he was going through and clarifying some of those guidelines. And one of the one of the terms that he used when discussing the fan films was uh, a, a Cold War mentality mm-hmm. where you have – you have a production like uh, uh, Star Trek New Voyages or Star Trek Continues or uh, Star Trek Renegades, right? which somehow manages to get names, mm-hmm. you know, David Gerald or William Wyndham or George Takei mm-hmm. or, or, or Tim Russ or, or you know, people who were actually involved in Star Trek right. or Gigi Edgeley from mm-hmm. Farscape in the, in the most recent Continues. And, of course, Continues has Jimmy Doohan's son playing Scotty. Right. Fan films don't have this kind of access to that kind of talent. Right, of course not. And this escalation of, you know, who can we get and who can we, you know, who can we hire, who can we get on the, on the screen, who, who can write our script and all of that. You know, that, that, that escalation of uh, expense mm-hmm. because it is a business. Somebody, somebody's going to have to get paid something. 
um, basically turned these fan films into a, into a cottage industry. Right. And I think fan films are probably a good place for a, a good opportunity for new filmmakers to start breaking ground because we talk about you know the the landscape has changed so much because you've got not only you've got you know we we've got our own YouTube channel everybody's got a YouTube right, channel or true. Vimeo um, but then of course you've got Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all of this on demand stuff mm -hmm. now which back in the day we didn't have right no I mean uh, you had you had the video store well yeah and you, you, it, okay folks <laughs> picture in your mind. The red box that's in the store, in the grocery store. You go into the grocery store, there's a red box. Back in the day, you could actually walk into a red box. They were bigger, probably. They were, they were bigger, yes. They were, yeah, but you could walk into a red box and you could actually walk through uh, these these collections of Down aisles. Films. Yeah, it's just like in a grocery store. You walk down the aisle. You know, and it's all sectioned off. You had your science fiction in one place, you had your horror in some place, and you had your romance and your comedy. And it was Netflix. like a physical Netflix. It was yes, yes, exactly. You know that is were... such a good way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> but you could you could rent tight very much like you do now. But but the best uh, the best ones are actually the mom and pop shops. The oh sure your yeah, big chains you have some really obscure titles in. Oh yeah, well, your big chains like blockbusters or. Um, family yeah, video. Family, family video, video was was is the town. family video is still around. Yeah, there's one um, or two, and I think there's still one down the street from my where my folks live in Wichita. Wh where um, else? Now, what when was I the other was, one? Uh, when I was when I was younger in, in movie Dallas, gallery, had, movie gallery with Sound Warehouse uh, in Dallas. I don't know if that was a local thing or not. Um, we had Hastings. A, Hastings, yeah, Hastings. Hastings. Um, music Music Warehouse was up here, but it was Music Warehouse. Music Warehouse, something like that. But it was it was. That was uh, music stores, mm -hmm. um, but the best ones were the mom and pop shops because you would find the obscure titles. When I went, when I yeah. the first summer back from college, um, got a didn't want to live in my room at home. I'd been away for college. I was a grown up. I was on my own, so I got an apartment with a friend of mine, and we would go to the video store, which a friend of mine worked at. Convenient, convenient, and we would go through and we would rent all this stuff. Mm. Much of it was crap. Oh, sure. But we would rent, you know, every obscure science fiction film we could get our hands on. Um, and what's, there were... what's this transmogrifier? <laughs> okay, that's now. That'll work. Let's... Uh, <laughs> thank you, the asylum. Who's this, who's this asylum people? Um, oh, this looks cool. Oh, and some of these, some of these films, the cyborg movies. Uh, uh cyborg one, cyborg two, cyborg three, which somehow made to get people like Jack Palance would show up in something like this. You know, um, the explosion of the Star Wars. The cottage industry for bad science and fiction and bad fantasy films came out of Star Wars. Mm, yeah, uh, everybody had everyone. You know, you've uh, you heard about they they found the restored Turkish print, the Turkish Star Wars, the restored print for no. that. Yeah, somebody found a found a complete intact. Really, I mean, I'm sorry, they're in the process of restoring, but it was, it's a complete intact Turkish Star Wars, which is one of the great bad ripoffs in movie history. Oh wow! But there is a kind of like Japanese Spider Man. Yeah. Except they, oh, so, someone's wow. got to find a complete version, and he's in the process of restoring it. Um, so this is like, for those of you who are who grew up in that period, this is actually like one of those treasure trove, mm. so bad it's good movies. Kind of like the bootleg Fantastic Four, George oh, Romero. Oh, wow, yeah. So you would, you would get your hands on these films, and they were, they were so many of them were, were awful, awful ripoffs. Mm. And bad, so many bad fantasy movies from the 80s. Oh, Wow. Just, uh, Sandra Bernhard was in a lot of them, and Sandra Bernhard's amazing, but it was, it was, um, 
the way oh, it was. Oh, hey, there she is. Yeah. So it's, she is. this is what uh, um, boobs and blades were kind of that was kind of the subtext of all of them is like you'd, you'd get the you'd get the attractive actress who would sure. go topless for half the movie yeah and then there'd be a sword fight or with the villain a, or be in a tank top oh yeah and yeah. it was i mean they were just they were oh and they were stories were awful but you did mm-hmm. the same thing for science fiction but you ended up with this some of these folks actually would go on to make really interesting films on the in in the smaller smaller uh scale kind of stuff well it's kind of like colin trevorrow making uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, mm-hmm. which is which was a small little indie film, science fiction, time travel type sure. of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, Jurassic World. Right. It's like, why? I mean, there's, there's, not even, there's not even a time for these new directors, these new voices, mm-hmm. to even ramp up. I mean, true. I, I remember seeing an interview <laughs> with Trevorrow where he was basically saying, his approach to directing Jurassic World was to pretend that he was Colin Trevorrow with 20 years of experience directing. Mm-hmm. I'm pretending to be Colin Trevorrow 20 years from now, and I'm acting like I know what I'm doing. Because he, at that point, he'd only done Safety Not Guaranteed. Well, and I think what was interesting about a lot of these early films, your Star Wars and your Jaws... And uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, mm. um, uh, Planet of Terror, was that? That, was, that might have been one of the. I think that was one of the early Carpenter ones. Galaxy of Terror. Okay. I think it was Galaxy of Terror. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I, I could be wrong. Well, on that. even Halloween wasn't. Oh wasn't yeah. A huge budget. But you look at some of these. You you or uh, uh, what was one of the one of the early Cameron films? I mean, these guys got all their all of them got their starts making low budget films. Well, Cameron started with George Romero. Yeah. So. And the there was a classic story about the uh, the the maggots on the electrical plate, mm. where he'd flip it on and they'd make them move because yeah. of the current. And somebody would walk by and he'd see they'd they saw him going action, and they'd flip the switch and the maggots would move. And he'd say cut, and they'd flip the switch and the maggots would stop moving. <laughs> and some some exec walked by and went, "That's impressive. Give that boy a movie." Um, so it's. Yes, yeah, so and now he's making four of them, and they're all the same. Yes. Well, and, and well, and, are... that, and that that goes into that you know the whole franchise thing. Well, sure, you know? but but go back go back to those early films, and and some of the things that made these films so impressive were the limitations on them, and a lot of time that limitation was money. Yes. Um the the first Terminator film, the budget on that film was not very big. The first Star Wars film, the budget on that film was not very big. And and that's something that people have pointed out, the difference between uh, the two trilogies in Star Wars is the first the first trilogy, George Lucas had Gary Kurtz. Mm-hmm. The second trilogy, George Lucas had Rick McCallum. Right. And the public perception of Rick McCallum, phantom perception, that, you know, it just, just, and this is just me reading the tea leaves. It doesn't have any any basis in you know interviews or right, facts or anything sure. like that. Mm. The impression was you know Gary Kurtz is the one that said no, right. no George, we can't do it. You don't have the you don't have the budget. You don't have the time. You got to figure out something else. Gary Kurtz was the guy who kept everything on track. Right. Rick McCollum, by contrast, was sure George anything you want, mm-hmm. and, and at least that was. That was the impression. Rick McCollum was a very good pitch man mm-hmm. in all right. of his interviews. He was always talking about how great and wonderful and fantastic. And Graham was like, okay, 
Let's slather it on just a little bit thinner <laughs> and show us something. But but the the limitations are definitely what makes the the original trilogy better in my mind than the prequel trilogy. Well, and they, I mean you just you just keep throwing money at it. That doesn't make it better. Well, we've done we've played in the independent film world, and we still play in the independent film world a lot of times. And one of the limitations that we have there is we don't often have a lot of money, which means you have to be creative, mm-hmm. and you are you have to solve the problem in a way that doesn't involve throwing money at it because you don't have any, right. or 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 you do, but it has to go somewhere else. So yeah. you don't have there the additional money isn't there, and if if Bruce the shark had worked. In Jaws, mm-hmm. it would not have been as as good a film, right? Be- and because they realized this really expensive fake shark we built <laughs> doesn't work and has a tendency to sink. Yeah. So we're going to try and not show the shark and see how well we can do with not. And then we're going to leave the shark for the moment, so you're going to see it when it really matters. And okay, it's working. Shoot it now. Exactly. <laughs> But it worked. It was incredibly effective. Um, it still, it's well, a scary it's, it's, film. It's Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that, it's that uh, let the audience fill in the blanks approach that Hitchcock always took with, with his suspense pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's like, you know, the audience can scare themselves much more efficiently. Oh, sure. Than you could ever do by putting anything on. on well, or, or then he went the other way and sat there and went. Tippy Hedren, get in the phone book as I phone booth as I try and kill you with birds, because <laughs> he was Hitchcock, brilliant director, terrible to his actors. Speaking of solving problems, yes, we have a problem now. We're out of coffee. We're out of coffee, so we're going to go solve that problem. Yes. Let you hear from our sponsor, SuperheroStuff.com, and we will continue our discussion of stifling the next George Lucas when H two O continues right after this. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Where can you get the latest cool superhero and sci-fi merchandise? SuperheroStuff.com From t-shirts to keychains to cookie jars and everything in between. Superhero Stuff has added more buyers to the staff, which means more stuff, which means more for you to choose from. And don't forget the Hero Box, the must-have superhero mystery box. A $70 value, just $49. Visit SuperheroStuff.com today and gear up with your favorites. SuperheroStuff.com where heroes shop. I'm meteorologist Brian Busby. If you're traveling to a convention this weekend, especially if you're a cosplayer, it helps to know what the weather's going to be like. Rain and fur don't mix very well, now do they? That's why every week, Sci-Fi For Me gives you the weather forecast for every city hosting a convention. Those we have on our list, anyway. And that's worldwide, not just in the United States. It's part of our commitment to bring you content you won't find anywhere else. Just click on the Conventions tab over at SciFiForMe.com, your portal to the science fiction multiverse. Whoa, where'd you get that shirt? Bought it at the convention last week. It's an atomic cotton design. Atomic cotton? Yep, they got t-shirt designs from sci-fi, horror, cult films. All the shirts were really unique and fun. I had to get one. I gotta wait for another convention, though. Nope, atomiccotton.com. I ordered a shirt. Shipping was super fast. Atomic Cotton, where Erica and Zach combine their passion for art and film to create wearable art. All original, made with a love for the genre. Coming to a convention near you very soon. Or find them on the web at atomiccotton.com. Atomic Cotton, shirts and art for fans by fans. 
Star Wars fans, McKenna Riley here inviting you to join me for the latest news, rumor, and innuendo from a galaxy far, far away. Salacious Crumbs, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. That, 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 that scene where you see the three of them and, and McCoy says, you really want to go back out there? That's and, the end. And, yeah, and Kirk and Spock both say, yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's the end of the movie. That's that's them basically going, okay. And then, and that, that you'll have your new Enterprise at that point, which will be your movie. Although, according to, according to Q, we're actually watching the very beginnings of the five-year mission. This is this this movie is right. year two of the five-year mission. Yeah, you're so, already in the in the. And he said so. She, and the way she described it, and Simon Pegg didn't contradict her, is that this is actually all before, technically, all before the events of what we saw in the original TV show, because they were already in the in the five-year mission there. Mm -hmm. And so the way they're looking at it as is that if they wanted to remake, which they don't, they don't, but if they wanted to remake the original series, the, after this movie is where you'd start doing that. This is, this is the, this is the, this is the build the crew to the, to where we saw them in the, in the, mm. in the t original TV show. It makes me tired. We are talking about the Star Wars, it the is. Star Trek franchise. It can be. Um, That's not a coffee. Which, no, it's not a coffee. I am, I have switched to, uh caffeinated soda coffee soda that's how that's how bibbo bibowski says it soda soda <laughs> so yes we're talking about um and the two you know we haven't seen the film yet obviously no we haven't um and i'm actually i find myself in, in an interesting place of looking forward to it and not looking forward to it because well and that's a, that's a much bigger discussion but it's also comes well, we've back had in, that discussion yeah exactly um and you can find it several places Tomorrow. actually uh <laughs> In our, in, in our in our archive in our archives, but because you have so so when they when when they rolled out the first Star Trek movie, um, Star Trek the motion picture, mm -hmm. and that actually came out of an idea to do it as television. Yeah, it started off as Star Trek Phase Two, which back in the day. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the CW, the CW has a very long history. Sure. Uh, even though it's a fairly young network, uh, the CW actually started out as two different networks. You right. had the the WB, mm -hmm. dubba, 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 you know, with the with the Michigan, oh, wow. Michigan James yeah, Shrug. uh huh, yeah. <laughs> that takes you back, doesn't it? Does. It does, yes. <clears throat> to the nineties. Well, yeah, because because uh, Supernatural started off as a WB show. Sure. Right. And they're in season eleven, and just got renewed for season twelve. Because as long as it makes money, that's right. That's right. So yeah, you have. And that's, that's not a criticism, by the way. That's just an, it can be. Well, yeah, but it's also just an acknowledgement of the realities, of, right? Of, so of, the way, had, of the industry. You had the WB, and then you had this little other network called UPN, which mm -hmm. was the United Paramount Network. Now this this started. In I'd say the mid '90s when Voyager came out, '93, '94, something maybe? like that, something like that. Yeah, '93, '94. But the idea for Paramount to put together its own uh, independent television network goes all the way back to the to the early to the early to mid '70s, and the you know the popularity of Star Trek and syndication got people at Paramount thinking, well, hey. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could do this new television series, and we can maybe do this new network. Right. Because network television is only going to get you so far, and you have the network standards and all this other stuff. So let's make our own. Right. 
And so this Paramount Network was originally, you know, back in the seventies, and Star Trek Phase Two was going to be the anchor television show. Right. And then George Lucas made Star Wars. Everything changed. <laughs> right. And Star Wars made all the monies, and Paramount sat there and went, "We want to make all the monies too." Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to do it on TV because TV, the, TV. The, the scale is completely different. Right. So they they retooled Phase 2 into Star Trek The Motion Picture. Mm-hmm. And the pilot episode, The God Thing, right. got revamped and whatnot into uh, into Star Trek The Motion Picture. And, of course, you know, with, for the TV series, Leonard Nimoy wasn't going to come back. Right. So you had this new character, this new Vulcan character is on. Um, oh, by the way, I got an email. Yeah. Speaking of Star Trek and, and stuff, Alan Dean Foster yeah. is going to be at Worldcon. Oh, wow. Very cool. And might be available for an interview. I think that would be great. That would be we so should, cool. We, would, we will have to make that happen if we can. That'd yes. be fantastic. No, he's yeah, the, I mean, novel, Alan, the, the yeah. king of the novelization. He's written, he's written all of them. <laughs> uh, and the ones that he hasn't written, Greg Cox has written. Greg, yeah. Greg, Greg Cox is starting to do a lot of that, too. So um, I think he did Man of Steel. He did Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, he's starting to be one of the go-to guys for that kind of thing. And, you know, he keeps toying with this idea of doing an original novel, mm-hmm. like not in a franchise. Sure. He's a tie-in writer right. as well as an editor. And that's actually a skill set. I mean, that's a, that's a serious skill set. Yeah. You've got to be to, – to write well within somebody else's world mm-hmm. and capture the voices of characters you didn't create yeah. is hard. It it's is. very hard. It is. It helps to be a musician. Uh, yeah, sure, I can see that. Because uh, I did, uh, I wrote an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation that sat in a drawer for a year, and one of the things that I did as as part of my process was uh, playing playing the the audio of the dialogue oh, sure. in my head, right. yeah. and. And the cadence, you know, as a musician, you could recognize cadence and rhythm and all of that for the different, uh, for the different actors and how they deliver their lines. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, uh, data, you know, Brent Spiner's delivery for data was very precise, very measured. Right. And then, and then, you know, you know, Riker talks a little bit faster, and Worf is, you know, sure. bombastic mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. so I could hear the voices in my head. <laughs> the other voices, the, the in other your voices, head. yes, yeah. the pretend voices in my head when I was when I was going through the script, sure. just because I wanted it to, I wanted to get it really close. And then, of course, I tossed it in a drawer for a year, and then when I pulled it, pulled it back out to revise it, mm-hmm. I got the revision done. I was ready to send it in. And they aired the episode that used my idea. <laughs> Send Todd, a royalty check, too. Um, our, um, our Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, one of the Emmy Award-winning filmmakers we have here in town, uh, Todd Norris, came out and talked at the, the Independent Filmmakers Coalition on Wednesday. And he talked about a, fe- a feature film that he, the feature film that he, he, he wrote and directed, which none of us have seen. And in the process of writing and making that film because he had no money and really didn't know what he was doing. Right. It took years to do. Sure. And basically by the time he finished it, every fresh idea that he had that nobody had done yet had been done. done. Right. And he's like, yep. what are we going to do? do? So. Well, that's, uh, that's like with, uh, with John Carter, mm-hmm. uh, which 
you know, you look at all of the franchises that have come out, Superman, right. Star Wars, Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. Buck Rogers, um, what are some of the other, well, any of, any of, space, anything. Well, space opera. That, I yeah. mean, basically, space opera is John Carter all out of John Carter of Mars. Was the first, and there's right. a there's a really really a really good of Mars, fan trailer. Apologies. Yeah, well, the the John Carter character, right? John Carter's a character. Um, there's a really good fan trailer mm-hmm. that establishes Carter as the as the prototype, right? You know. Without John Carter, without that character, without that series, you know, the Barsoom series of books, you wouldn't have any of the rest of it. Right. At least not in the form that we know today. Um, I heard uh, some of the reaction of the new Tarzan movie, Mm -hmm. that it's one of the more accurate, faithful renditions of the Tarzan story that we've had so far. And, of course, you, you... Franchise, you know, people are already looking at. Well, does it get a sequel? Well, but there, making, there were sequels to the books, know, and there were sequels yeah, to the stories, and there and, were sequels in the original the Weissmuller movies. There were more than one. But we, but it also sounds like from from everything I've read is that they also managed to take a story that was very much a product of its time uh-huh. and bring it into this time. Because one of the things that, and we've talked about this before with Lovecraft, is that he was a product of his time, and 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 while you can read his stories and in many cases not catch. The racism that was built into his character. Some of this stuff was, I mean, Tarzan was in many ways, you know, the great white savior thing. Right. And, 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 a, and an Africa that never really existed. A, no. a fantasy Africa where, you know, but anyway, it sounds like from everything I've read that these, that they found the balance of keeping true to the story, um, the tr- the story of Tarzan, but also making it so it's not a, you know, cause, you know. Oh, thank heavens the white guy's here to save us, all of us, mm. just, you know, us mm. helpless brown people, because, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, which is actually, I think it's important because you look at some of this stuff that would be really hard, the stories would be hard to tell now for some of these things if you, in the same way, because the culture changes. Right. And and the way we, the way we perceive what what things are good and bad in in pop culture change. Um, the idea that there was a reason that Archie Bunker was so upset so many people at the time mm-hmm. is that it actually in a time when when casual racism and casual bigotry was was sort of baked into parts of the country. Right. Here's this character on TV being just awful, and it's a comedy, and we're all laughing, but we're kind of uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason that it's it's actually held up because we still have those people, um, and yet some of these. <laughs> Where's the Archie Bunker reboot? Oh wait! Oh, <laughs> I know. It's like it's oh god. Um, but we but you and I have talked. Can about, you? It, it would star Will Ferrell. Oh, and see that's the problem is that you yeah. and I have talked about this before. Is that you look at some of these? They're trying. They're trying. We actually <laughs> talked about it last night. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> we recorded well, this the first time. <laughs> well, because it's it's there are there are folks and a lot of them some of them are our age and a little older mm-hmm. who are looking back at the, the TV shows from the 70s and trying to turn them into franchises Starsky movie franchises and, Hutch. and they they're looking through this lens where they look back at those shows and go that's kind of funny not realizing at the time they were played serious right um and that the the that's just a difference in, in how stories storytelling worked mm. and uh, well, how the, the con- how TV shows work. You look at you look at something like Starsky and Hutch. Mm-hmm. Starsky and Hutch is a buddy cop movie with comedic elements, right? And um, the the 
the original show, you have these two guys who have completely different perspectives, different approaches to sure. police work. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you've got the flashy car, mm-hmm. and you've got the explosions, and you got the, the the chase, and you've got mm-hmm. the, the right. detective story, the crime thriller, and you could really you could do Starsky and Hutch modern mm-hmm. as a crime thriller, and you do the 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 back and forth and the you know the the re- the witty repartee. You know, the, so what lethal weapon? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. yeah. Well, which is getting a reboot. <laughs> there was a t- there's a TV show reboot of Lethal Weapon. There's a lethal, there was a I think it got canceled. Yeah. No, that was Rush Hour. No, no, there's a Lethal Weapon TV show. Really? Yeah, I, I think it may not. have already gotten canceled, or it was there was a pilot or something. But I, I well, was you like, know, CBS is rebooting MacGyver. Yes, with Lucas Till. Okay, so so here's uh, so yeah. I, I don't I don't inherently have a problem with reboots. So so okay, I don't have a problem with reboots. Yeah, I don't have a problem with remakes because we do that. That's culture. Mm. It's a thing we do. Right. Yeah. We talked about this before. Every generation is going to have Star Trek. Every generation is going to have Star Wars. We just saw every generation get Star Wars. Right. <laughs> we know it can work. Yeah. Um, and so you have the, these and. King Arthur, Robin Hood, whatever it is, we, right. we this we're, we're the storytelling, you know, this is that we do, and so I don't necessarily. The trick is is to get it right, and to yeah. not lose sight of what made the original effective in the first place. Yeah, because because yeah, I've I've maintained and I've said this before that the studio executives, the people that are running things now, being our age or just slightly mm-hmm. older, they are hanging on with tooth and claw to their youth. I don't want to get old. I don't want to get old. I don't want to get old. And so and they're... And curiously, they're going to revive shows that, that make were, you feel old. That make you feel yeah. old. Because, oh, yeah, I remember that show. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you know, Dukes of Hazard being a good example of that. The only reason I watched the movie is for the car in Linda Carter. Sure. Not necessarily in that order. Right. Um I, and I, I'm really looking forward to her as the president on Supergirl. <laughs> oh, by the way, did you see um, CW Seed yeah. is going to be running Constantine? Are they now? They got the rights to NBC's interesting. Constantine. I well, I guess you could means. say Warner Brothers Television's Constantine. Right. That's true. Yeah. So people are sitting there going, what? 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 Does this mean? Does this mean? Could that would be, be cool. That'd yeah. be cool. Well, and I think that you end up with with shows like uh, uh, Bewitched or uh, uh, Starsky and Hutch, and and these. That was such a missed opportunity. Well, I, I again, they're looking at this stuff, and yes, in the way these shows age, some of them age very poorly, mm-hmm. and they do look vaguely silly, um, in a sense that if you if you don't have the context of watching them when they were there, right? right? So. Um, and I think this is one of the arguments that, that I'm, I've come to realize with the new Star Trek movies is that the new Star Trek movies aren't making, re- doing the Star Trek TV show. They're doing the Star Trek movies, right? Mm-hmm. For the, so, I mean, the problem is, is that, is that we're not, you're, you're going to need the new Star Trek TV show to get the kind of, you know, thoughtful science fiction because that's not what an hour and a half, two hour feature right. film is, right? Right. But when you have something like Starsky and Hutch, they took that seriously, then right right it was and the and the comedy came from the interaction of the characters right but not the fact that hey we're making a comedy right and and so you have to or or land of the lost i mean land of the lost 
looking back at Land of the Lost, a set of fresh eyes watching Land of the Lost now, they're gonna sit there and go, "What is this? Right? This vague. This is this is ridiculous. You know, this is this is silly." But if but you at did, the time, but if you but if you read the logline for Land of the Lost, a uh, you know a, a paleontologist, zoologist, or whatever, and his family. Uh, you know, get thrown through a vortex back into the age of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a that's an intriguing notion. Sure, and and even though they had budget issues and money, the effects were terrible. So much of that show was actually treated quite seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, did it has it aged well? No, ye gods, no. And the re- and it had a reboot. In a TV show yes. reboot. Well, it had a TV show it reboot. It had a TV reboot, and then it had a... The Will Ferrell movie. The Will Ferrell movie. Now, I, I, I have nothing against Will Ferrell as a comedian. I think he can be very, very funny. But it's like, it's... There he are, plays the same character all well, the but that's but that's the, that's the thing with the remake and the reboot, is that as long as it's making money, yeah. they're going to ask Will Ferrell to sit there and come in and play Will Ferrell's character. Speaking of Star Trek and Starsky and Hutch, yeah. I, had an, I had an insight, because I've been watching... I've been watching Deep Space Nine. Sure. Uh, and I'm in season six now. Quark is Huggy Bear. Right. Yes. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> no, he's I think the, you're right. You know, and, and he's the, you know, he's the bartender. He owns, you know, the restaurant sure. in the right. place. And he's kind of sketchy in his doings and mm-hmm. contacts and the people that he knows, and the people he does business with. And it's like, Quark is Huggy Bear. <laughs> You know what? I I, I I don't think I can argue with that. And you can take uh, O'Brien and Bashir. Yeah. Th- those personality types. Mm-hmm. And there's your Starsky and Hutch. And Captain Sisko is Captain Doby. Right. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Why not? No. It, it, oh, now I want to see that as a mashup. <laughs> Let's take it would take the Starsky and Hutch. Oh, it would take the Starsky and Hutch oh, opening, mm-hmm. right, and and throw uh, throw Deep Space Nine footage on top of it. So you take the opening titles right. yeah, for yeah. Starsky and Hutch and make. All right, we did we did Law and Order Gotham. We did, yes. I think I'll. Ha- I think you're I'll gonna have, have to do, do that. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I and think and I think there's something to be said for. There's something to be said for looking at some of those characters and finding the parallels in some of these other stories. I mean, you can argue that there are only so many stories to tell, mm-hmm. and we just find new new ways of, of shaping that story and, and right. giving a new spin on it. Some shows are not going to be ripe for remakes. How many times have they tried to remake Knight Rider or reboot Knight Rider? And how many times has it worked? A bunch yeah. and none. Yeah, yeah. So and the Team thing is, Rider. That, Remember Team Knight oh Rider? Oh God, yeah. The animated. Oh, so so a show like Knight Rider, you couldn't do a version of Knight Rider now because the cars already talk. Our cars talk to us all the time. You could, I, I, you could do it. You but, could do it. But we okay. Where's the the difference? The difference. No, I don't think you could because the we, the the technology you would have to have yeah, to make the see, car. Yeah, but Night Rider, Night Rider was never about the car. It was it was a buddy cop show. Sure, but one of the buddies was a car. Right. And which is perfectly fine. You could still do that. You just advance. You, just, you, you wouldn't advance the... the technology a little bit more in the car. But one, the reason why NBC's reboot didn't work is because they didn't get the dynamic right between the two lead characters, which is Michael Knight and the car. I just don't think I just don't think it they would treated play. the car like a robot, not like a character. Yeah, I just don't I just don't think it would play anymore because I think the 
the idea of artificial intelligence and a self-aware-ish car mm-hmm. that you know self-control uh, own you know self-propelled own controlled car right. was was in, was new and interesting and now it's kind of like well they've got the google car google car um and they've got you know the we our our phones talk to us now you know so yes, i think constantly. i think <laughs> mine doesn't talk to me i, I don't have that i don't have ping, that software ping, well that ping, that's different. Ping, um, that's why i turned that off or turn it down to a, a dull roar but the I think that was very much a product of its time that would have about you to have to have a really, really good writer mm-hmm. find a way to make it work. Yeah. Where we're finding those original places where those, those, the original voices, the new Spielberg, the new De Palma, the new, um, you know, Guillermo del Toro, we're getting them on the premium cable channels and yes. on Netflix. Um, yeah. You look at a show like Daredevil or Jessica Jones mm-hmm. uh, in the Marvel Universe. And the kind of storytelling they can show that do there, and these are self-contained stories, right? You know, these are these are not twenty-four episode shows. These are eight episodes and ten episodes and twelve episodes. Penny Dreadful, the kind of stuff that you can do um, with these shortened form storytelling. That the risk you can bring in a you can bring in a younger director who's got a really cool idea, and he sits there and says, "Well, yeah, studio loves my idea, but I want to direct my own project. I want to run my show." The risk to the studio is much much lower, sure. And if the if the channel is financing it, you know, yeah. if it's if it's an HBO production or a Showtime production or a Netflix production, well, and that's a place like uh, like Netflix where you have Sense Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You've got there's I think there's two or three others that are not Marvel, they're right. not big franchise shows. They're they're independent. They're they're original. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's that's something that we're sorely lacking in right now is original concepts. You know, we're we're on what our fifth Transformers movie, our seventh, where our eighth Star Wars movie is mm-hmm. about to come out. Star Trek is now thirteen right. and going third third in the new series, and and yeah, it's we're gonna have. But so yeah, you've, you're gonna find this stuff on the on the original. On, you're going to find the original programming on the networks, right? Which is weird because it is. We were expecting the networks to die off, and now the networks. Be, I think, and, and to some degrees, the big three are kind of. Well, the big think, three are kind of struggling, but I, I think the web too is another place where you're going to find some of that stuff. Because mm-hmm. I remember talking to Nick Lowe, who was yeah. the group editor of X Men comic books at the time, right? Uh, at Marvel, he was here at Planet Comic Con. Oh, this way back in the day, but he was talking about finding original writers and artists mm-hmm. for comic sure. books. It's right. the same kind of thing over there. I mean, you know, you look at you look at some of the some of the stuff that's that's coming out now and you're getting the same writers. Sure. Over right. and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Or same artists. And and every now and again you'll get some new talent that gets put in there. Right. But for your prestige titles and your big you know primary characters Your Jeff Johns, your Greg Rekas, your Yeah, you know. going speaking of Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. They announced officially the writers for the Wonder Woman movie. Yes, mm-hmm. and there's been some blowback. Yeah, how dare a man write the Wonder Woman movie? Well, and, and you that's know, essentially what it is. Because there is, but I think that, I, mean, I think uh, look, uh, the headline headline of the Verge: Three men wrote Wonder Woman, and that's a problem. Well, okay, so so you got Jeff Johns, yeah, who is. 
chief creative officer at DC Comics, mm-hmm. and, and also arguably, now the co-director of DC Films. Right, and he's the mm-hmm. one that they're looking to save everything. Sure, right. He's Jeff Johns. Right. For the most part, he's got the respect of fandom. Right. There are some other. There are some people out there that think he's a little derivative because he's always using other people's characters. Okay, fine. But he's using them in original. Have they met comic books before? <laughs> and then you've got. Um, Alan Heinberg, who's done a lot of TV stuff. Right. And then Zack Snyder. Right. And everybody goes, Zack Snyder wrote the Wonder Woman movie. It's going to be terrible. Well, I, I, Wonder, Wonder Woman is such a, because this has become a big deal, actually. This is, this is, this is not just Wonder Woman. This is female superheroes. Right. And this is Which beca- are tricky. Well, and we've talked about this before. There's a one, we've talked about the Wonder Woman as a tricky concept before. Yes. And, but it has been a tough nut to crack for at least on the studio side. Mm-hmm. So when you have writers, because there have been multiple writers, male and female, multiple directors, male and female, who have come in and and they've tried to get the project off the ground and it's not worked. Right. And what has been, and then of course we got the whole thing with Black Widow, where's the Black Widow movie, and the idea that somehow, you know, and the idea that a woman superhero film will not work. Yeah, look right? at Supergirl and Catwoman. Yeah. <laughs> when was Supergirl? 86? Something like that. When was 85? Catwoman? Uh, 90. Okay, so we're, we're basing our entire business model on films that are that old? Ike Perlmutter was. I know, but this is the, the so this is kind of crazy. Yeah. And and when you look at the, the fan reaction to Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, mm-hmm. and you look at just the, of for all the criticism that Batman versus Superman got, None of it was falling on Gal Gadot. No, when she when she shows up on camera, everyone's like, have you, "We like have you, her." <laughs> have you seen Have you seen photos uh, from the set from the the current from the solo picture? Yeah, her costume actually has color. I know. Isn't that something? And it's intriguing. Well, what, what's, what's really... what color does to a superhero <laughs> film? Isn't it though? Zack Snyder, make a note. Um, I did watch the director's cut of Batman vs Superman. Mm. And I have to say that it is actually a better movie. Really? I don't know that it's a better Batman Superman movie, Probably. but in terms of a movie, mm-hmm. in terms of it makes more sense. The edit is better. It's smoother. Plot, everything. Well, it's thirty minutes of character development. That that I would see. Lex Luthor's plan makes sense. Yeah, he's a very effective villain. He's still maybe a little too manic, pixie. Dream Boy or whatever, <laughs> or whatever. I was trying to go where it didn't go there. But can you imagine Gene Hackman trying to play that Lex Luthor? Sure, I can. Thank right. Oh yeah, that because, manic and, and well, yes. off the wall. Okay, you Hackman? did see the original Superman films, right? He had his moments. He yeah, had his moments. He was, he was never that flighty. Well, though. but this is a, here. He's in, he's in the thirty extended version. In fact, his the interaction with the senator with with Holly Hunter uh-huh. is much creepier. Yeah. In the again, it's thirty minutes of character minutes. Sure. Bruce Wayne comes across as much uh, much more the detective. Uh, Clark Kent comes across and Lois Lane both come across as reporters. They're investigating things. There's a you know. there's a fan theory out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about fan theories what a couple of a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. There's a fan theory that Jimmy Olsen, who was with Lois right, in sure. the desert, was a cover, was a CIA agent using Jimmy Olsen's identity as his cover. So 
So Jimmy's not really dead. That was just a CIA guy so in pretending the th- in to the be In the theatrical cut, if you didn't notice, because it's actually not actually in the theatrical cut. Yeah, it just blows by right there. The, the CIA agent who gets shot in the face uh, is meant to be Jimmy Olsen. In she the, calls him Jimmy. In the direct, we did. She calls him Jimmy, but she doesn't call him Jimmy Olsen. Right. In the director's cut, he says, I'm Jimmy Olsen. Okay. Um, hold on, hold on. And I watched this, and I said, the two things popped into my head. Uh-huh. One, no director of any other films in the DC movie-verse has to pay any attention to that. Two reasons. One, it wasn't in the theatrical cut. Right. He's not named Jimmy Olsen in the theatrical cut. The right. name is never mentioned. And two, exactly. There's no reason. For, I mean, like there's one person named Jimmy Olsen on the planet. Well, I share the name. I share the name of the famous British composer. I, can, I didn't go. I don't get paid to make movie I, music. Well, yeah, I I shared the I shared the same name with a uh, with a, a a neurologist. I think. Um, it probably get, gets paid much. You more never than get I the do. paychecks mixed up. I never get the yeah, paychecks mixed either. up. But um, so but, you know. But I I rather like this theory of the CIA agent pretending to be Jimmy because you know it's, oh, it's sure. an assignment and you're going in deep cover and whatever. Um, because I can sit there and say I'm George Clooney. Doesn't make me George Clooney. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I would want to be George Clooney, but. There would be some advantage. <laughs> Although maybe I don't know. Um, if we, I was, I don't know. Kirk Douglas maybe uh, has it better. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think I could survive being married to Catherine Zeta Jones for a year. Michael maybe. Douglas, you mean? Michael Douglas. Yeah. Not Kirk Douglas. He had it better at his time too. He did. This is true. Well, yes. no, I think I think that this is the kind of thing we talked. We did talk about fan theories, and this is the kind of thing where feel free to run with it because. What we saw in the theatrical film, in the theatrical release, doesn't preclude that character mm-hmm. not coming back. And there's right. so many different ways that, for all the flaws of that film, it at least put a foothold that everybody else can spring off of. And it sounds like, with Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman, they're looking at that and going, okay, that's done. Yeah. Now we've got our stories to well, tell. Well, Deborah Snyder even said that Batman vs. Superman is the darkest that the franchise is going to go. So they can only go up from there. But I imagine it's the darkest they're ever going to go because Warner Brothers sat there and said, that's the darkest it's ever going to go. Well, I think at the end end of the day, if you – the things that you don't like about Batman versus Superman, if you are not happy with the deconstruction of the hero concept that Mm -hmm. Snyder is playing with there, the director's cut is not going to make you any happier with it. Right. But from – and I think – I tend to watch a lot of films and think of it as an editor – because every film has a rhythm. We talked about music earlier. Yeah. All films have a rhythm. All when I'm editing, I often will cut to a a, a song, mm-hmm. or I'll put together. You know, I got a I got a playlist of a bunch of different music that I'll sit there and run through, whether it's it's appropriate for the film or not. But it's I'll find the rhythm that's appropriate, and it might be a song that I'm I'm not even going to use anything like it. But yeah. I, that beat is there. See, Snyder is is also one of those as an example of one of those directors who started out. With a very unique voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did Shaun of the Dead. That uh, no, not no. No, he did Dawn of the Dead. He did the remake, which was actually a a really effective remake because it was yeah. also fresh and updated. But it got him on the radar. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, it's he's doing all these really big, big franchise movies. I I want to know where the next George Lucas is coming from. I, I want to see watch watch be, watch the shows like Mr. Robot. Watch shows like Orphan Black. Yeah. Watch the the Netflix Marvel shows. 
um, I think that's where we're going to find these folks because the risk to the studio is so much smaller. You don't have to worry about trusting these guys with a tentpole picture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, is there any way that Fantastic Four was going to be a good film? I think that's yep. a real question, and because I mean, Chronicle Chronicle is a really good film, but what was the right. budget on Chronicle? It was an in, it was a it was a small indie picture. small indie picture. Well, and that goes back to the idea of cre- creative creativity comes from limitations. And sure, you get somebody like a Josh. Well, and I remember there there was an interview, uh, the commentary track uh, Robert Rodriguez did on the third, I think either the second or the third uh, Mariachi movie. Probably the third one, because I... Uh... He talks about the fact that on his on the first movie, El Mariachi, mm-hmm. they shot it in something like 17 days. Yeah, and it was $7,000. Tiny, 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 tiny budget. And he said suddenly he's given... I guess it was, I guess it was the sequel. He was given this budget, mm-hmm. this big budget. And I think he had something like... 31 or 60 it was 30 i think 31 days to shoot it mm-hmm. and he was talking on the commentary track he's like what am i going to do with all this time <laughs> what am i going to do i mean and and I, having made my own movie and shot it in a in a week mm-hmm. i could identify with that i was like well, yeah I, mean, I shot mine in seven days it's 80 it's you know 10 minutes a day right right and uh i could identify with that i was like yeah well because you know, with that kind of time, you can do more prep and you can do more, you know, rehearsal. Oh, yeah, whatever. sure. But, yeah, it was like, you know, that, that mentality that the indie filmmaker has is much different than what the studio filmmaker has. Oh, sure. Because you, you suddenly have all of this candy to play well, with. Well, and it kind of doesn't matter who's directing, and this is, please don't shoot me, Internet. It kind of doesn't matter who's directing a Marvel picture at this point. Right, because Marvel, the Marvel franchise is a TV show, and it has each movie has a formula, uh-huh. and it's much like actually going back and looking at this television of the seventies and early eighties, where it was the episode is these things are going to happen during the episode, yeah. and at the end of the episode, for the majority of things, it's going to be a reset. There is uh, an analogy that people have put out there, and I've and I've used it myself. Kevin Feige is the showrunner for mm-hmm. the Marvel television series. Sure. And the Marvel television series is all of the movies are different episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded of a story. I think it was Vincent McAvity was brought in to to direct an episode of Star Trek, mm-hmm. the original the original right. series, and he was telling George Takei, "All right, when this happens, then push these buttons to do this." And Takei looked at him and said, "No, no, no." It's these buttons over here, right. because the directors, when they when they come into a show, and you, even now, your your directors are not going to be the same directors over and over and over again. No, but the model is a little different now. Right, but the directors get told, "Here's how we do this right. show," and there's a show bible, and you've got the characters, you've got the actors who have been playing these characters for you know one or two or three or six, twelve seasons, and they know more about it than you do as sure. a director. And so you see this with the with the Marvel franchise too. The director will come in, and you've got this. Well, we saw this with Edgar Wright with Ant Man, mm-hmm. because now suddenly there's an umbrella, right? There's a there's a, a universe that this whole thing has to fit in, and Edgar Wright couldn't couldn't make that fit, right? He couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't do that make that work. So so it's very much 
you know, you take these these indie guys, these people who have proven themselves to be successful storytellers on mm-hmm. their own, right. and you slot them into something that's much bigger with lots of expectations and other working. Which parts is also unfair it. to them. It is because it is you very. put you're asking them to you're asking them to limit themselves in a way that is not creative. Right. You're. I mean, there's there's something to be said for for maybe having the applying the discipline to yourself to play in somebody else's sandbox and by their rules. There's something to be said for that. Right. But at the same time, if you've got somebody who is a really great storyteller, mm. then give them a chance to tell a story. And I think until we get... Because there, there will be a superhero bubble. What the studios need to do is... We're, figure out a model where you've got your tent poles, you've got your big budget movies, you've got your blockbusters and your mm-hmm. you know, your franchise and your massive big big things. But then also set up a, a lower tier well, and say, okay, that, that... We, we've got these $150 billion bajillion dollar movies that we make, but we're also going to do the $2 million pictures, yeah, the $5 million okay, pictures, you, We, we million are getting pictures. those. A lot like of them are... Warner Brothers does with New Line. Yeah, but we are getting those. We're, those things are still existing, but that's not what people are going to. Because people... What is well, it? They, they don't s- get promoted. Well, but they, they don't say, get marketed, well, They basically right. say people go to four movies a year in the theater. So, I haven't even gone to that many in the well, theater. Yeah, you, well, we've got, we've got time constraints that, that the average person may, maybe doesn't have, but the, the average American is going to the movie theaters like four times a year. Okay, what four films are you going to go see? Star Wars, Avengers, right. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you know, whatever it is. But it's the big pictures, right? It's the event pictures. So what's going to have to happen is the bubble's going to have to burst. A little bit. Because remember that in the 60s, what, what were the films of the 60s? We had the, we had the Westerns coming to an end. The crime pictures were kicking off. Yeah. And yeah, the 70s were really big for the crime pictures. But we were also, uh, the, the old school horror films were, de- were gone. Mm-hmm. The, ham- the Hammer era was yeah. done. And so horror was kind of this wasteland. And so these people were starting to play in things like Jaws, and then of course in the '80s we got into Halloween and, and Friday the Thirteenth and and critters, you know, crit- well critters and and <laughs> Hellraiser and these other Gremlins. things. Um, well, that was also the area of era of recognizing that that horror and comedy, and you could do it on a smaller budget because yeah. horror and comedy were were two sides of the same coin. You laugh nervously mm-hmm. uh, at the jump scare, and then the monster gets you. Yeah. Um, but you know the. You're going to have to have that collapse of the genre. You know, Westerns collapsed. Um, and suddenly there was this, this, this room for other kinds of stories. Science fiction broke out in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, you have to have the room. And in t- while, while the superhero films are eating up all the real estate and sucking all the oxygen out of the room. And I'm not saying I want that to happen. I love the fact that we got superhero movies on the oh, scale. Yeah, it's great. But they are eating up the yeah. real estate for the smaller pictures. So that's why you're finding them on Netflix and 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 HBO and, and Showtime. So, so here's here's what I want to do. I want to throw this out there. Those of you who are listening, if you have uh, if you have your own blockbuster video experience where you have gone into oh, yeah. wherever where you know scamming uh, scanning through Netflix or Hulu or uh, just finding something on the web or doing whatever, if you have found those nuggets, those those 
those gems, the, the indie films that nobody knows about that you think are worth sharing, send us a note, h2o at sci-fi4me.com. Let us know uh, some of these films because maybe we do some review and we, we get some should, exposure. We, we should there. actually do – we actually should do an episode where we bring those to them too. Yeah. I because think, I think I've be got a too. list of films that apparently I don't think Bruce ever saw. You could very well be, yes, because your so well your social life is probably a little bit better than mine, but still, yeah. you've seen some you've seen some obscure things. I have seen some obscure films. All right, so yes, h two o sci fi for me dot com, or you can leave a comment on our social media. Right. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google Plus, YouTube, Tumblr, and Twitch. For our video game stuff. For our video game stuff. Uh, Pinterest is all cosplay all the time. Right. For those of you who are interested in that. And, of course, uh, the latest news headlines over at SciFiForMe.com and HorrorForMe.com, which is a, its own section And I would just like there. to say thank you to the, to the folks who are working very, very hard. You and I have been busy yes. the last several weeks. You and I oh, both yes. have lots of... And I'd like to say that the folks who are the articles that are going up on horrorforme.com and mm-hmm. sci-fi4me.com, you and I are basically doing a whole lot of this yeah, right now. Yeah, I know. And yes. I've been I've been very very happy to watch other our, people step our, up. Our writers do that at, at, at a time when you and I are both kind of like going, "Where's yeah. my time?" Yes. Yes. <laughs> so they're Wait, doing a fantastic the, job. I the say water thank is you. the water is where. Thank you to our, right? our, yeah. our fantastic yes. writers. We and, have a great staff. We uh, do. And and hopefully hopefully they'll be able to do stuff uh, with WorldCon and mm-hmm. and beyond, and we'll see what happens. All right, that's going to do it for us. This one hundred twenty second episode of H two O. I want to thank our going. sponsors, SuperheroStuff.com. Go check them out for yes. licensed merchandise, and we will be back with another episode next week here on Sci-Fi Free Radio. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 